It takes more than remembering the argument order for the Simlink command to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, Episode 210. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice podcast for software developers who cannot remember whether it's the source or the destination that goes first when you type LN. Someone in our Slack said it's like the move command, source destination. And I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then I thought, wait, which one's the source (laughs) and which one's the destination? (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. For 20 years, I've been using this stupid (laughs) command and I just can never get it right. Even though I, I put some concerted effort in to say, okay, this is what it is. I still get it wrong probably 50% of the time. Yeah. At this point, you got to wonder how much time you would have saved yourself if you spent like a concerted 20 minutes of like memorizing (laughs) for good. Okay. Look, this is hard skills, but wouldn't it be nice if the stupid command would just look and say, that argument is a file that exists. This argument is a file that doesn't exist. I know where to put the sim link. (laughs) That'd be doing two things well, which is against the law. So not Unixy. You have to do one thing well, like LS, which has like 75 <laughs> command line <laughs> options. <laughs> Does one thing well, which is list files in millions of different ways if you combine <laughs> all the different parameters. That's true. <laughs> oh my gosh. We've drifted far afield though. <laughs> yes. I want to get us back on track by thanking our patrons. Thank you to these wonderful folk who are supporting the show. Thank you to Braden Keynes, Dennis Bogdanov, Evgeny Sladkowski, John Grant, Luke Bayless, microconfig.io, Nick Hathaway, Nick Cantar, Philip John Basile, Ryan Real McCoy, Agile Ventures Charity, Sean, Stanley Tactical Radio, Stephen Armin Lee, Taras Haruk, Travis, and Vinlock. Thank you to those folks who are supporting at the level where we say their name every episode or a word. I assume there's not a person named microconfig.io, but it's not profanity, so we'll say it. Isn't that Elon Musk's new baby's name? Did you call him Elon Bus? <laughs> That's his alter ego when he like plays the saxophone in the subway. <laughs> <laughs> Undercover to see if anybody recognizes him. <laughs> yeah. uh, what a clever pseudonym, Elon. You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> no one will know it's me. What were you going to say, though? Well, something a lot stupider than what it turned out to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to join this illustrious crew, you can head over to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. If you donate for any amount of time, for any amount of money, then we add you to our Slack team, which is great, and we learn stuff from. Mm-hmm. Thank you to those people who are doing it. All right. Should I read our first question? Oh, yeah. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, My question is regarding studying and learning new material. Before I got my job as a web developer, I was studying at least two hours per night. But now that I have the job, I want to come home and relax. How much time do you spend reading about new technology or working on new projects? Do you do it while at work or at home on your own time? I plan on getting a new job in the future, and I feel I need to start studying again. I need to refresh my skills on different algorithm questions. My GitHub is empty because I haven't worked on new projects since I got the job. Should I worry about that? How much studying should I do for future interviews? Do I need to listen to hard skill engineering podcasts (laughs) to be up to date on new technology? If I'm not doing any of these already, does that mean I'm not passionate enough and I won't do well in this career? Maybe we should make a spinoff called hard skills engineering where we just talk about simlink commands all day. (laughs) Hmm. What a novel idea to have a podcast where we talk about the technology, an untapped market. So 
When I was a young whippersnapper in tech, it was both my hobby and my career. So I would go to work and do computer stuff and I would go home and do computer stuff. And for some people, I think that continues through their whole life. And for other people, they have other hobbies or things they do with their life. So I do that less now. I guess the question is, if I don't do that, will I have a good career? And the answer is absolutely. Like this isn't a hard requirement. There's some people that do it because they want to. There's some people that do it because they feel like they need to to keep up. But there are plenty of people that do work, go home, have a life. And that's <laughs> fine. And they can still be productive, great employees. I say have a life like it means you don't have a life if you go home and like, I don't know, play with sorting algorithms or whatever. That's still a life. But like a life outside of technology and computer programming. So Jameson, can you pinpoint the moment in your life where you sold out and gave up on the dream? I couldn't until the comment you made when we were talking before the show. And it was definitely when I had my first child. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> absolutely. I wasn't thinking about it before then. D Dave was like, oh, wait, this is a sneak preview of the oh. next question. Uh-oh. Foreshadowing. Ooh, all planned. <laughs> all planned. But yeah, I think when I had my first kid, I just cared less all of a sudden about computer hmm. stuff. And I found that it did not all of a sudden make me worse at my job too. Hmm. Do you wonder if maybe putting in the foundation up front of doing all the at-home study and other stuff kind of prepared you so you just no longer had to do that anymore? I just knew everything already. Yeah, like you learned it all. Then you closed your computer science yeah. book, put it aside, put it on the shelf. Yep. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that. Yeah, I mean... There's, there's some foundational stuff, and if I see things, I feel like sometimes I can pick them up more quickly because I can compare them to other things. Mm -hmm. I do do a lot of reading, which is the worst way to learn <laughs> new stuff. I just like <laughs> really? read someone's blog post and think, yeah, that makes sense. I think I got it. Yeah, I think I know okay. Docker now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got this Rust thing down. I read a couple posts about it. So I, I don't really do projects anymore outside of work, yeah. actually. Hmm. Yeah, so... I don't know, beware all your, or you will turn out like me. Yes. <laughs> so this turned into a cautionary tale, obviously. Yeah. My GitHub is empty. Yeah, absolutely. Mine is empty too. I've, I don't know, I have very few number of public commits outside of work. And I think that's most people's reality. So I think employers look at it sometimes and say, oh, cool, you have public GitHub stuff. But the lack of it is not an indication. It's not a, it's not a red flag. Like most people don't code in public for their job. The last GitHub project that I did years ago was to create a cron job that submits GitHub commits to make sure my GitHub activity feed stays looking good. <laughs> nice. Problem solved. It just like slowly goes through in chronological order all the commits to the Linux kernel. <laughs> like, whoa, Dave. Dang. Just for fun. You're building a kernel. Working on a side project. <laughs> Wow, you're up to how many millions of lines of code now? <laughs> Holy cow. This comment, my GitHub is empty. Is that a problem? This is, uh, this is. I hear this a lot from new developers, especially the bootcamp community. I think they get told during bootcamps quite frequently that you need to have a full GitHub profile so that employers, it looks like you've been working on writing code a lot. But the fact is, once you've been in the industry for a little while, I think employers pretty much stop looking at your GitHub activity. I still look if it's there, but if it's not there, it's not, yeah, it's not at all a negative. How do you even know what a candidate's GitHub link is? I've seen people just put it in their resume. Oh, okay. And so for people who don't do that, you just don't even look? Yeah. 
Great. I just assume it's all really bad code on GitHub, <laughs> so they didn't want to reveal it to me. <laughs> so it's a, a strike against you. Yeah, no, it's not at all. It's just like, well, I don't know, not their thing. Okay, so it seems like a pretty normal trajectory, but from both of our experiences, to stop working on side projects for hours and hours every day outside of work. And probably the same would go for study time, too. I mean, you know, getting your first job, you're working a lot of time, both in the form of projects and study. But I think that does trail off because it turns out you're spending 40 hours a week in your craft. And so you're going to be learning a lot just from doing that alone. And so you need less after work time. If you, know, if you were transitioning from some other career, then it makes sense to spend two hours a night learning how to program. But now that you're spending 40 hours a week <laughs> learning how to program on the job, you probably don't need to do that anymore. But what happens when that interview comes up and you just need to know how to invert a binary tree? I just don't work at those places. <laughs> I just fail. I mean, I think it's a pretty common trajectory people go through to put less time in, but then kind of beef up for interviews if they're not inherently interested in that material and have it on the top of their head all the time. I think that's, I don't know, just have a have a study period. I just got this mental image of a career switcher who was a general contractor and is now a programmer and steps into an interview in a conference room and there's a whiteboard and the the interviewer says, invert this binary tree. And the, the former general contractor just like whips out a power drill and disconnects the whiteboard from the wall, flips it around backwards and puts it back up. <laughs> Reverse this linked list. <laughs> Done. <laughs> power tool. He holds a mirror up. <laughs> <laughs> That's called the Da Vinci algorithm. <laughs> Look into this mirror. It is reversed. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have like some philosophical monologue. Yeah. And you talk about Zeno's paradox. <laughs> Can a project ever really be done? Because first it's halfway done. And then it's <laughs> half of halfway done. That's what I tell my boss when he asks. We're halfway done. How's that thing going? <laughs> Listen, let me tell you about Zeno. <laughs> and he just rolls his eyes at me. And you say, I'm halfway through my monologue. <laughs> I'm halfway through the remaining half of my monologue now. <laughs> so I think we're kind of saying the same thing, which is it's not this horrible stain on your career or credibility if you spend a bit less time than you used to outside of work. I think there are skills that you need to learn to do your job that are very specific to that job that might not be transferable. And I would keep an eye out for that mm -hmm. and figure out if most of the stuff I'm learning is like the password for our weird FoxPro database or whatever, like very non-transferable knowledge, then that might be a reason to spend a bit more time outside of work. But yeah. if you can make sure that you're getting, if you're getting better, not just like getting more, if you're not like nestling tighter into the niche of <laughs> the, the weird stuff your company does, right. then I think you can, you can get away with doing that all at work. Yeah, a good call out on if your company... If at your company you're learning esoteric, non-transferable skills, then you probably are going to have to spend more time outside of work. I mean, one person's esoteric, non-transferable skill is someone else's passion, too. That's true. So like, someone else's consulting yeah. gig for life. <laughs> exactly. That reminds me, we had, a, we had a question in the Slack channel where someone said, hey, I'm working on this like GUI dashboard builder thing. Is it normal? And the advice was kind of like, get generalizable experience, which it sounds like you're not getting there. So I want to make one more comment on this, which is there's basically two kinds of study you can do outside of work. And, and one is to learn a specific new skill or technology. Like, let's say you want to get up to speed on Kubernetes. 
or React or whatever it is. And, and that's one category. But the other category is like fundamentals, like computer science stuff, like graphing, graph algorithms, tree traversals, hash maps, linked lists, stuff like that. And I have found that I have spent so much time thinking about that stuff over the last 20 years, including a computer science education, that I don't actually need to spend time studying that stuff anymore. It's just kind of, it's almost like, you know, you learn the alphabet once and you don't really have to go back to it. And I think that a lot of these like super fancy algorithms and data structure interview situations are actually a little bit overblown. And most of the time for most interviews, you just don't have to be a master of these like super crazy algorithms. And in fact, I have found that it hurts me. The more I study like these esoteric computer science algorithms, like, ooh, should I use an AVL tree or a red black tree? It actually hurts me in the interviews because I start whipping out this weird esoteric stuff and the interviewer's like, why not just use a hash map? You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, it kind of takes me off track. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more complicated data structures are usually, or not more complicated, the more esoteric data structures are usually more complicated to implement too. Yes. So I guess if you're talking specifically about an interview, they would find out that you know how to implement like one eighth of a functioning B tree or something. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like you could get through the whole thing on a whiteboard. Right. Probably. Right. You never could. It's a lot. So anyway, I think that studying new technologies is time well spent. And I think most developers who have spent already put in time on the fundamentals don't usually have to revisit that stuff, especially if you have a CS degree. If you don't, then I think probably that you'll need the time. And I'm specifically talking about in the context of interviewing and specifically about interviewing at big tech companies, which I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines here and thinking that's what this question asker is going for. Well, I think you're definitely smarter than me, Dave, because I would have to study up. I mean, I, I know like what a hash map is, but I feel like I just need to get my head in that problem space a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. If I was prepping for a specific interview, I'd probably run through some of the material. There is truth to that. Gosh, I just, I just, some of these interviews are just so dumb where it's like, find all the integers that are palindromes, but which meet the following criteria. It's like, oh, guys, really? You know, anyway, I just, I've been working on leak code recently for fun and I've run into these and I'm like, ugh, <laughs> <laughs> I just hate those questions, you know? Yeah. That's funny because I feel like you've argued that the point of them is to be this self-contained problem that you can judge in an interview. Like I remember in the past you've said you've we've, we've gone back and forth over whiteboard interviews that well, I guess not whiteboard specifically, but like these computer science -y type questions. Yeah, no, I do. I do like computer science -y type questions for the reasons you gave because they're well scoped. I just hate the ones that are like solving a Rubik's Cube. You're just like waiting for the candidate to have this aha moment like oh, it turns out uh, palindromic integers share a property with silly numbers. You know, it's like, oh, it's a, what a waste. I want to see if you can okay. use the tools of the trade. Like, do you know how to use a very common data structure to do this job? So anyway, I just hate, I hate the aha questions. But anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Okay, that makes sense. The bottom line is I think that most people do have to spend some time prepping for interviews. And I do think it's worth your time outside of work, not every day, to brush up on new technologies that your work isn't giving you the opportunity to learn. Yeah. I'm kind of like constantly doing a broad overview of stuff. Like I read all the tech news sources and follow people on Twitter. And occasionally if something really piques my interest, then I'll dive into that specific thing. But I don't have this 
detailed curriculum that I'm following to work me through from the beginning to end of technology mm -hmm. that I that I'm just always putting in time on. And I found that that makes it easier for me to stay motivated and interested. Whereas if I've given myself an assignment, it turns out I don't respect myself as a teacher because <laughs> I'm like, no way, man. <laughs> I'm going to the beach. School's for chumps. <laughs> this teacher sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, this teacher sucks. We've answered the question. <laughs> question answered. <laughs> Should I read our next question? Yeah, go for it. This is from a listener named Rachel. I just had a one-on-one -on -one with a junior engineer I'm mentoring. He mentioned that he has difficulty compartmentalizing work from his personal life. For example, even when he's not working, he can't stop thinking about his code and edge cases and possible bugs missed. Got any life hacks to help him care less? <laughs> to care less. This is like the opposite. How can I get motivated to care more? How can I get motivated to care less? Hmm. You could do everything in the Rocky training montage, but in reverse. Or maybe just play the music backwards. <laughs> Just play montage music backwards, and it starts with somebody in great shape, ready to fight and defeat the opponent, and then they end up like sad and depressed and on the couch. <laughs> in bad physical shape. Yep. Eating chips. Okay. That might have the opposite effect, though. That might motivate you to not do that. It's like a cautionary tale again. Oh, yeah. Like, see what would happen if you care less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to have to come up with something better than that, Jameson. <laughs> I mean, think of all the famous historical figures who cared less. <laughs> Don't you want to be like <laughs> notable scientist and lazy person? <laughs> I know. Like think about N Nelson Mandela in his finest moment, just cared so little. <laughs> yeah. Marie Curie, not caring at all. Just kind of <laughs> walking in at noon to her lab. <laughs> we jest obviously yeah <laughs> the intention behind this is like i think i think it, it looks like rachel is concerned this person is headed for some burnout maybe yeah that there may be not being a well-rounded healthy human with a a life outside of work which is very valid and i think it reflects well on you that you're thinking about not just their output as a developer but like what would make their life better so kudos but but what <laughs> i want to insert a but here because when i was a young junior engineer i was exactly like this person i just couldn't stop thinking about work you know i would wake up in the morning and be like "Ooh, i think i wrote a bug yesterday I think on my way through it you know on my drive home i'm thinking about the code i wrote that day i don't know i just i loved those years that was great and then i stopped caring <laughs> <laughs> well, what led you to stop care dave i had children <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, not everybody's gonna have kids so you could watch my children for a little while. <laughs> Are you looking for a godfather or godmother? Yeah. Yeah, probably a stranger on the internet is qualified. Yeah. <laughs> so our listener knows them, which we I will take as like this implicit vetting. They're probably fine if, if Rachel is mentoring them. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Got any life hacks to help him? So you're saying just don't do anything. Just say that's just how it goes when you're you're new into the field and and your passion has not been squashed, extinguished, <laughs> squashed, <laughs> crushed. Yes. I, I mean, I am, I am saying that, okay, there is a risk of burnout here, but also it's pretty fun to be this excited about something. And it's also pretty normal for life to extinguish that passion over time. And that happens through a lot of ways, you know, just, you'll just get tired of it and you'll get distracted by other stuff or life will take you in a new direction 
or whatever. But I don't know. I just I don't really feel the urge to extinguish the passion of young engineers. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe something you could think about is one way this passion could not work out well for this person is if they just if they're using it up on things they don't get benefit from. So mm -hmm. maybe I'm not saying this is the case with your employer, but maybe they're like, oh, cool, a young, passionate person happy to do as much as we will ask them to. Uh -huh. So here's all this extra work, like yeah. we'll really push them and they don't really get much recognition or reward or learning from it. So maybe if you can encourage them to channel it towards things that will last. So if you can develop new skills instead of just like put more hours in at your job, that's probably a good trade-off for that time and investment and kind of obsession almost. Like if it makes you better, if instead of just making the company happier at <laughs> your expense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking over the notes that we made for this question. Dave says, have kids. Mine says, just wait. <laughs> so I feel like I'm pretending to be a grizzled old man at like 33 or something. How old am I? Oh, you just wait when you get to my age. Yeah. By the time you're 33, you'll have seen enough to know that <laughs> there are horrors out there. <laughs> 33 is pretty old in this industry. If you type get blame, <laughs> it turns out the horror was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, your comment just wait is kind of boils down what I was saying which is your life will take you in directions that will eventually cause you to put a more appropriate amount of effort into your professional life. I mean, you're going to move on one day from this company and, and you're going to realize, oh, all that passion, all that time and heartache and blood, sweat and tears I sunk into that project, boom, I was severed from that project overnight. And you'll see just how quickly you move on to the next thing and stop thinking about that old project. And that'll give you perspective, I think. I mean, you said maybe it'll just happen, but it doesn't happen to everybody. I mean, I imagine like Linus Torvalds was probably very passionate about the Linux kernel for many, many, many years. And I, mm -hmm. I imagine he didn't just get older and decide like, eh, I'm kind of over it. I think this, this sort of gets to the thing I was saying earlier, though, which is uh, his passion was channeled into this thing that he owned. It wasn't like he was passionate about fixing bugs in this SaaS product for his employer or something. So if you can channel the passion into something that lasts, like what you said, Dave, if you get switched to another project and that project was your pride and joy and, and passion, then sorry, <laughs> thanks for all the hard, thanks for all the extra effort. But if you get skills out of it or relationships or, or are better in some way or have something durable from it, then I think it, it could be worth it. Yeah. And now if I if I take this question at face value and just say, okay, really this objective is let's get this person to care less. I would say one solution to that is get into something that will take, it will force your mind off of this topic. There are, there are actually quite a few things you can do here. One that I got into about 10 years ago is endurance exercise, which is like, for me, it was bike riding. So it's like hours and hours pedaling my bike and boy, it is, your brain just turns to peanut butter and it is so hard to think about anything besides moving your feet <laughs> around the pedals. So that's one way to do this. And I say that in all seriousness, like strenuous activity that takes effort and time. Maybe another way to think about it is instead of help him care less, help him be healthy. Because I think that's the underlying goal here. Like how do we help him be healthy instead of unhealthy and and so maybe caring is part of his personality maybe he just cares a lot about stuff and and you don't want to squash that for him but think about 
how you can channel that caring in a way that doesn't hurt him. I like what yeah. you said about physical activity. I got into picking up heavy stuff and putting it back down. <laughs> and it's very different from endurance bike riding, but I think it has the same effect where like you're so focused on something that is not like the bug or the meeting yeah. or the compiler or whatever. It's like you have to be completely into this this very physical thing in a way that I feel like refreshes me and mm-hmm. makes my life better and makes me a better developer when I'm back to it. Yeah, I agree. And some people say that exercise like that is a time they use to think. I can't think about anything when I'm exercising. <laughs> yeah, it's a time I used to not think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I actually did, you know, sometimes I'll do like little computations in my head. Like, okay, you know, I'm driving in a car, for example. And I'm like, okay, I'm going 50 miles an hour. It's 12 miles away. How long will it take me to get there? And I'll just kind of do the math. When I'm on my bike pedaling, I cannot do that math. I think what we're saying is, Rachel, you need to get into his office and bust out like 400 push-ups and be like, <laughs> listen, <laughs> you weakling, <laughs> just like flex on him and mm-hmm. then- or, or turn into a drill sergeant. Get down and give me 20. Stop thinking about that bug and do a push-up. Yeah, you got to motivate him to do something physical. You maggot. It can be anything though. I mean, like fishing. Yeah, call, yeah. Call him the name of bugs that are gross. That will help. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think we've talked about this before. There's that Rich Hickey talk about hammock time where mm-hmm. your brain will sometimes solve problems for you if you do other things with it. I feel like that's true too. If you're just pounding your head against the wall, thinking through like control flow in your code, you might get kind of stuck. Whereas if you let your brain just churn away while you do something else, then you could get value out of that. Yeah, but that that can backfire. And I'll give you, I'll give you a story about that. I was uh, I was in college working on a programming problem, and I was just pounding my head against the wall for like an hour trying to solve this problem, and I just couldn't do it. So finally, I gave up. I'm I'm like, okay, I'm out of time. I got to go home. So I packed up my stuff, and started walking across campus back to my apartment. Literally, like thirty seconds into my walk, the answer came into my mind. This is how to solve that problem. And I'm like, oh. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this will free my mind from having to think about this. No, I spent the whole evening thinking about how to apply that solution. (laughs) (laughs) So it just led to more obsession. Yep. So there is no answer. Yeah. But try push-ups, I guess. (laughs) There is also something to be said for taking on responsibility outside of work. And we mentioned having children, which obviously that works for some and not for others. But boy, that gives you responsibility. But there are other ways to get involved in things outside of work as well that you can be responsible for that take you away from programming. There's all kinds of service opportunities that people can do to volunteer at various things all over the place. And that, for me, is great. When I go volunteer my time at you know whatever, whatever thing it is, it really clears my mind. And I don't think about programming when I do that, although I don't spend a ton of time thinking about programming these days anyway. But even when I was younger and obsessed with programming and thinking about it all the time, when I would volunteer my time, it was a great opportunity to clear my head. And it worked. So, I mean, that's one option. I like it. Well, have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. I would love to hear how this one goes, if you could write back in. Yeah. Well, what should people do if they want their own questions answered, Dave? Go to softskills.audio in a web browser. Click on Ask a Question. You can fill out our form there. Thank you so much to everyone who has submitted questions. They are just wonderful. All right. Catch you next week. Catch you next week.